the, the emergence of rock writing in this country and the emergence of Bruce Springsteen are definitely tangled up in each other. Right, definitely. And I always think that if 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 a piece of music or a, a piece of art inspires a lot of great writing, there's something that's there's something to be said about that. He's definitely one of those people. Yeah, he he's he's a a, a writer songwriter for sure. Right. I love the way you start the book as a member of Del Fuego's and um you're backstage and Mr. Bruce Springsteen comes backstage. I love that as because there is that there are people in the alt music space who are like, I'm really not a Springsteen guy. Right? And most, yeah. But most of those people, if you press them, they will sort of say, well, Nebraska sort of does it for me. Right? <laughs> yeah. You hear a number of people say that. But, you know, we, we grew up outside of Boston in New Hampshire, and Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, those are the giants. So when Bruce Springsteen entered our consciousness, it was from the margin. He he wasn't the Bruce Springsteen of Born in the USA. So that Bruce Springsteen always stayed with us. We knew yeah. that he came in a side door and looked very different from a lot of the kind of male bravado that we were seeing in groups like Aerosmith. There was... He was more punk uh, in advance of punk than what our friends were listening to in the parking lot outside of the football stadium. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we just heard it differently, but I always thought he was very curious in how he, he sort of happened along parallel to punk, but in a lot of ways behaved as though punk hadn't happened. Or yeah. Because yeah, I mean, was, he's, he's like our pub rock. You know, if pub rock, right, is pub what rock comes before punk in the UK, he he was our pub rock. Yeah, yeah. How did you get to a point in your career where this book was calling out to you, and you had to you had to sit down and write this book? I, I think it probably started in 1982 when it came out, and I I, I had two governing questions and one was why am i personally connecting with the desperate characters of nebraska and yeah. the second question was why would any artist who just scored his first number one album and first top 10 single put out a record like nebraska it, it made no sense so right. there was a personal angle and then there was you know, for lack of a better word, call it a historical angle. And I, I think a lot of artists were kind of mesmerized by Springsteen making a decision to put out a record that was so at odds with the moment. It's very tricky to look at this stuff because we look in retrospect and we see order and intention and a, a building. And I think there was actually a lot less of that. I think there was yeah. more meandering and self-doubt and lack of assurance. Yeah. And this is why I love looking at long careers. I wish yeah. we had more of them today, 
but I yeah. find them fascinating. And I think what people often forget is, and I remember talking to Elliot Roberts in relation to Tom Petty's career, and he said, you know, he sat Petty down and said, it can't always build. There, if you think you're going to keep increasing your sales and increasing your place, you're going to have real troubles, frustrations, yeah. and the potential of just like blowing up. Um, yeah. And he's like, some albums are going to be quieter. And I think Springsteen came to that on his own. And yeah. Let Nebraska happen. Let that quieter moment happen. And and I do think it cleared space for something as big as porn in the USA. Yeah, it's something that's very clearly drawn in your narrative about how um, when when I saw that first show in '78, we we knew. I mean, it was reported in the press. We knew we were seeing a guy who had been forced off the road to be in court uh, for a couple of years and that that actually had done his career damage. In other words, he, he could have toured much harder behind born to run, but he decided to, to stay away and fight his manager. And we knew that that was um, a big price to pay that he was actually like, he was in it for the long haul because of that. That was what his behavior indicated. Yeah. Uh, I think that makes sense. And the way you you frame it is he was ambitious enough to want that big brass ring, but just intimidated enough by it that he needed more time. <laughs> and he needed to get this stuff out before he did that. Well, or I don't know if I'd use the word intimidated. I would say unsure. Like, hmm. can you maintain a connection to your audience and be a superstar? Can this thing get bigger without me losing my connection? You know, he says it, uh, and I include it in the book, like my connection to the people I'm singing to and the people I'm singing about, the right. characters in my songs. If this thing gets bigger, can I maintain those connections? And I think that's a really pretty sophisticated line of questioning. And yeah. I, I think he Nebraska helped him get to the point of saying, I can I can trust my audience and I can trust my connection to the the people I'm writing about the characters in my songs yeah. multiple levels of trust with his audience I can I can see some artists doing something like Nebraska but I can also see them getting out there to explain it to their audience here's why I'm doing this this is what it's like this is where it came from and Springsteen doesn't do any of that he just hands Nebraska to his audience and watches to see what they make of it. That's wild. And then it's, it's hard not to think of Dylan, but it's people who get to a point where their artistic identities are so strong and they somehow have the kind of confidence that allows them to see that and it means they can go on adventures that take them into new territories and their audience will go with them so when dylan started singing songs that had some basis in 
Christianity, I think he lost a lot of people. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it it came back and people would return to something like slow train coming and go, oh, wow, you know, I can, this is a great album. Uh, but not too many acts get to the point at which their artistic identity supersedes to such a degree the individual project. But that's yeah. an interesting creative space to be in, and I think yeah. Springsteen got there. Tell us a little bit more about Alan Vega and suicide and how that interaction comes to be. Yeah, well, that that was an important part of the book because, you know, a lot of people were going to say, oh, this is this comes from his interest in Woody Guthrie. Right. They're going to they're look in that direction. They're going to see a man with an acoustic guitar without a band and – Take into account the fact that Springsteen was talking about Joe Klein's biography of Woody Guthrie and go, oh, okay, we got it. We understand where this is coming from. And the bigger musical influence was this band associated with New York punk that nonetheless didn't look like punk because it was really an electronic duo, right. uh, a singer and a second guy working with synthesizers and drum machines and making music that a lot of people felt um, turned off by. And Suicide had that reputation of, like, really testing you. Like, can you stay in the room with this? And Springsteen, different from so many people who ran in the opposite direction of Suicide, he was like, man, there's something in that for me. And and that is that tells us a lot about Springsteen, how he listened, what he was hearing, but it also tells us where he wanted to go. And he describes Suicide's music saying he heard an unforgivingness in it. That was yeah. his word, unforgivingness. And he wanted to know that music – could go to places well beyond the romantic tradition, well beyond stories of desire, loss, and longing into, you know, really dark content and still matter. And suicide was his example. And it kind of gives him permission to write a song like Nebraska about a serial murderer. Right. Uh, I, I like that observation about how his, his listening and his his generosity of spirit uh, reaches. It, you know, he's, his listening is omnivorous, obviously, um, and he has his focus and his favorite stuff, but he actually responds to stuff that's as far out as Alan Vega and Suicide. It's very it's very interesting to me that they actually wind up in in studios next door to each other and conversing and listening and, and befriending each other. Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say that. But 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 to to riff on what you were just saying, it's it's that Springsteen has this openness and to use your word, generosity and listening. But also as a songwriter that he can be drawing on film and short stories and photography. And not a lot of songwriters 
get to that point, I would argue. I think, you know, a, a, a lot of them stick in their medium. You know, their influences are come from music. Right. You know, the lyricists, producers, writers, these are the reference points. And there's, you know, Suicide is the musical inspiration, but then you've got Flannery O'Connor short stories and Terrence Malick's film, and he's knowing somehow that all of this can feed right into his songwriting. And and that, too, tells us something about Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. So there's how much of this is Landau's influence and Dave Marsh's influence? Um, I mean, I think it's one of those things, you know, I can't, I can't speak to, to Dave Marsh, you know, John gives that example of his wife saying, do you think Bruce would like these Flannery O'Connor stories? And John's like, yeah, you know, and so this book of stories goes to Bruce and, and then what John is reflecting on, he's like, it's really interesting to see what compels Bruce. Right. What, you know, what that passes by him, he reaches out and grabs and pulls into his world. So I think regardless of who was around him, he was going to be doing that. You know, he did it with suicide. He's like, I got to know more. He did it with Robert Frank's book of photographs, The Americans. Like, I need this closer. I think John Landau has that kind of appetite for culture that given the amount of time they were spending together and the nature of their dialogue, sure, he was definitely going to be an influence. He was searching himself. Uh, But I think it's like that. You know, that omnivorous quality that Springsteen has, like right. he, has, he has maintained his intellectual and emotional curiosity. Well, yeah, that's that's what I like about your book is that there there is this kind of offhanded way. It's a little bit patronizing, right, that he gets taken under Landau's wing and educated. And I really like how you draw specifically how it's so much more than that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, Landau, I don't think, would ever tell the story that way. I think oh, that's no, other, no. you know, that's other people who are, you know, it's it's cool to be suspicious of the business, and so people go, oh, managers, oh, he works at the label, oh, they're the guys who are trying to make the artists sell out, and it's like, man, that that kind of black and white reading of things is going to get you the least interesting story, right? <laughs> but when you start to bring nuance to it, then then you see, you then you get to learn about the relationship, what it can be, what it can't be, when it's business, when it's personal. And, and I think, like, these guys are just really tuned into each other. Yeah. And one of my favorite moments in the book is just John Landau saying that when he heard the tape with the Nebraska recordings, he was, you know, quote, concerned on a friendship level. Right, right. You know, he, here's, they've just had a big record with the river. He's a manager, and he gets the first new music, and his mind goes to, is my friend okay? 
Right, right. right. That tells you a lot about, you know, the human character business relationship. You have this wonderful quote from um, Van Zant in the book. I just love this quote so much. I want you to unpack it a little bit for me. Um, Pink Floyd is easy. Louis Louis is hard. Yeah, well, that's that's an iconoclast at work. So, you know, people are going to think that uh, Louis Louis is a simple thing. And, you know, I, I feel like Stephen has made it. One thing that he does is to, like, look, and I, and I love this about him, he looks for the depth in cultural products that we sometimes associate with the surface. And so, you know, people will look at Pink Floyd and look at it in terms of this wide, big arc artistry. And I think he's not making a point as much about Pink Floyd as he is about Louie Louie. I think it's a legitimate point. That quote, he goes on to talk about the, the personal and how the personal is easy to do. And that's where I think it gets tangled up a little bit. I can't remember what term he uses. Like the, the Pink Floyd represents a more personal songwriting. Uh-huh. And okay. Louis Louis represents another tradition. He's he's just saying, you know, I think he's right that we post singer songwriter we privileged the personal, we privileged the confessional, the intimate, and sometimes to the detriment of how we saw music that people might, you know, too loosely categorize as party music. And I think he's making the point that, like, that stuff we might see as party music, like Louie Louie, is really deep. And there's a lot going on there. And it's not easy to do. If, if it was easy to create one of those, everybody would be doing it. And yeah. maybe the personal is actually easier. What happens in in literature, too, where people start to look for the the writer in ways that maybe they shouldn't, you know, as, you know, like everybody's lives are behind the work they create. There's no other way to do it. Right. But but how much of their lives are they putting in the content itself? Um, I'm not sure that it matters, but at a certain point there, I I think the confessional nature of a lot of singer-songwriters brought people to look for that. Tell me a little bit about what kind of reactions you're getting to the book and what people want to talk about and what you wish people would ask you in an interview like this. Well, uh, you know, when it, it depends. We're in this strange social media age, so you there's more access. The reader can access the author through whatever, websites, Twitter, Facebook, and so you you hear from your readers in ways that you you couldn't have twenty years ago, and right. so a fair number of people respond to the let's call it the mental health side of the story. Right. The you know the the Nebraska comes from a guy who is at a you know a lost period, and 
he was trying to uncover something that was, you know, not easy or fun to uncover and potentially a little dangerous. And that's, you know, that early childhood stuff. But he came to an impasse and was smart enough to go, I have to look into this. You know, the problem, as, you know, he rightly said when, when I said, you're not supposed to do this alone. He said, right. I, I didn't know that yet. Right. But a right. lot of people respond to that because we've all been lost. We've all gotten to that point where something is getting too hard and it feels like it's going to go forever. Yeah. And so I'm hearing from people who are responding on that basis and ultimately it's a story of hope because he comes through it and he gives us this document from the middle of it. And that couldn't have happened if, if, you know, it's like when I walked into the room where he recorded Nebraska at the end with him, it's a Bruce Springsteen who's, you know, got a wife and kids and found his way. Right. And, and so readers are hearing that. So I'm getting a fair number of responses on that side. And yeah. then I'm getting a good handful of people who feel like, thank you for helping me to understand this because it was the one I didn't get. And then it, you got this other group that says it's the only one I like. And, the, and they feel like now we can step up and say it. Uh, those are probably the three biggest pockets. And, and then there's, you know, very validating feedback that people are responding to the, to the writing. And that always makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've liked your writing since, um, I love your dusty in Memphis book. I love that book. It's funny. I was just, I, I found a, a Tobias Wolf old school, that novel. Because uh-huh. uh, I wanted to pull it out for my son, and I had completely forgotten that Jerry Wexler gave me that book. And oh, there's wow. a post-it in the front that says, uh, you know, to Warren, it says, a little gift, nothing much. I copped a freebie, Jerry Wexler. <laughs> you know, which is like so, it, you know, I bring him up on, because he was, he was my, key figure in writing that Dusty and Memphis book. And he was just, you know, he was the writer's gold. And he, I, I couldn't believe I was having that experience. And, yeah. you know, I've had different people breathe life into different projects. And obviously Tom Petty breathed a lot of life into the Petty biography. Bruce breathed a lot of life into this book about Nebraska. Jerry Wexler breathed a lot of life into Dusty in Memphis. And that's part of the joy of this kind of writing is meeting yeah. people who you knew as names on records that you listened to thousands of times, and then there they are. Having just finished a doctoral dissertation, I was in – I was such a grateful audience for – words like that. It yeah. really it, it helped me to process all of the academic work and to kind of get back to the freedom 
of ideas that you can't always have in a longer academic project. Right. Uh, remind me what your thesis was on. And it was on globalization and regionalism, and it was it was really about the fantasy of region. And I looked particularly at the South because because of American music. You know, if you're a fan and you start digging, it's it you're going to dig to the South, and it's going to be gospel and country and blues and R&B. And you start, you know, I grew up in New Hampshire, so you start to build an image of the South, much like the guys in the band built an image of the South in their imaginations, with the exception of Lee Von Helm, from up in Canada. Right. And But I wanted to see, I wanted to look at a range of fantasies about region and also how they operated in different kind of different political values assigned to them. And so you're teaching about popular music, you're trying to organize a massive, massive body of content yeah. in a short time to students who it's hard for them to think historically because of the nature of society and culture. Right. I sort of think, I agree with you, I sort of think it's, it has flattened history out in a way that's really not helpful for them. They they gotta want it a little bit to to right. get it, yeah. And you know, and there are, I think the ones who are gonna end up making music are the ones who have a historical curiosity. And I've I've never been in the studio with an artist who has a career who doesn't think historically. I have not seen it. Like we did do, have to do a lot of going to find it, and now it comes at you. It's so different that I find myself first needing to kind of do an anthropology of things in order to go, okay, I can't make my judgments based on my own background anymore. That doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I do is working on a kind of visual literacy, you know, what yeah. I would associate with semiotics. And yeah. Like, like, let's not passively receive. Let's begin to really tease apart because every artist is very consciously creating a visual image, an artistic identity. And it's got multiple elements. Like we cannot stop at the recordings. Let's look at the recordings along with videos, along with record jackets, along with performances and Let's try to think about what they're telling us about who they are. And I feel like that conversation, if it goes well, will lead back to some reading because curiosity, intellectual curiosity, artistic curiosity will kick in for some students. Always great uh, talking to you. I appreciate the time, Warren. I really enjoyed the book. Thank you, Tim. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Warren. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.